Hey folks, welcome back to the podcast. It's been a little while since I, I sat down and, and talked through some stuff. Life happens, right? You get busy. But uh, this week I took a trip down to Fort Benning, Georgia to go to the National Infantry Museum down there. I know they renamed Fort Benning, but it'll always be Fort Benning to me and it'll always be Fort Bragg to me. I went to Benning for basic training in 1996, basic and AIT, advanced infantry training. Then I went back in 2000 for Airborne School, and I was there for a six-week non-commissioned officer course as well. So I've been to Benning a bunch of times. But we went to the National Infantry Museum, did a bunch of content, and there's a statue outside it. It's the, the infantry statue or whatever it is, and it has a guy waving and saying, follow me, right? Um, they say, you know, a boss will say forward and a, and a leader will say follow me. And it's a good... It's a good way to think about it, right? Our, our leaders in the military all first over the top, over the trench line. No, they're not. And that's not their job. But they say, follow me by their example. They lead by example, right? Now, um, so we're going to talk about leadership today. And it's a topic that's near and dear to my heart. Now, I tell you, I've done several leadership courses in the military, and I don't know that I learned a whole lot from them. I think leadership is a journey. It's a journey that you you refine over years and years and years and it's kind of on the job training right you don't go to a course and learn leadership right and and you learn traits you learn how to the first leadership course I did was in Fort Hood when I was like a you know learn about to be promoted to sergeant and it was a one month long course and I actually did learn some stuff there but I learned stuff about counseling writing non-commissioned officer evaluation reports, uniform code of military, just the procedures and stuff like that. But actually leading people in the field, uh, I, I don't think I learned it there. I don't think I learned it in any course. I think I learned it by doing it. Now, I will caveat it by saying leadership is on-the-job training. It is, uh, it's inherently tied to your personality and the way you are raised and your ethics and your cultural stuff. So it, it, it kind of all ties in. And I, I have... Obviously, I grew up in Ireland. I have Irish traits and European traits, even though Irish people think I'm super American and Americans think I'm super Irish. But I have these traits, these European traits that um, are, are baked in and I can do nothing about them. And one of those things is like, I'm not a real touchy-feely guy, right? I'm not really, I can, be, I can be tough and I can be hard when I need to be. I can be empathetic when I need to be, but I'm not gonna, you know, give you hugs and tell you how great you are. It's just not me. I, when I ran, uh, I ran Force Modernization for Special Operations Command. I had 14 Green Berets, senior Green Berets working for me. And I remember my sergeant major came in and he was like, do you go around every day and talk to people? And he called it leadership by walking around or something like that. Do you go and, and sit down with each guy and talk about their family? I was like, stop. Let me stop you right there. Not me. That's not who I am. If they have a problem, it's none of my business, number one. If they have a problem, they can come and talk to me if they need TMF. Otherwise, do your freaking job. I'm not here to be your buddy. And he was stunned. I was like, if you don't like the way I lead, fire me. I'll go back to running guns and bullets, which I wanted to do anyway, right? And he was kind of stud, stunned. And, and that's his style. That's not my style. And I don't try to mimic anybody else. It's, it's, it's what, I, you know, you are who you are. So I have these inherent traits that, that are baked into my leadership style. I remember in, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to sidestep here with freaking stories. Uh, it's how I do business. But I remember in uh, Iraq in 2006, we were all, we were doing multiple missions every night. We were going out in vehicles or in helicopters and we were in a lot of combat and it, it was pretty heavy, 06, 07. And we were on the, on the helipad one night prepping to go on another mission, waiting for the birds to come in. And one of the guys on my team 
who's a freaking warrior, was upset that the commander and the sergeant major never walked out from the operation center and shook hands with us while we're getting on the bird to go fight, right? He was a little upset. He thought it was poor leadership and he was a little insulted by it. And I was like, I don't care. I don't care if they go home. I never want to see them. They don't do anything for me. And he said, uh, you're a pretty funny guy, but he said, that's because you're a European. He said, Europeans are cats. Americans were dogs. We like to have our belly rubbed every now and again, <laughs> which is pretty funny. Um, so so those, those traits are inherent in me. There's other things too that I was able to do because I learned, I, I grew up in the Irish Army and then I came and I kind of started over in the American Army. So while I went in, I was, you know, went to basic training, I'm 29. So I was already older than all the 18 year olds who had just come out of high school. I was more mature and I was done, you know, I understood all the games and all that crap, right? And as I get older now, you just, not that I ever did, but you just don't give a shit what people think. You do what you do and you drive on, right? Now, so I'm just gonna caveat it there, right? It's a constant learning cycle, all right? So let's talk about a couple of things when it comes to leader, leadership. I'm going to talk about three things. I could talk about 10. I could talk about 15. I did this actual podcast yesterday. I really had no plan. I just talked, and I talked for like an hour and a half, and it was very scattered and rambling, and I was like, let me, let me put a couple of things down on paper. So integrity. Integrity is doing what's right when people are not looking, right? And they, they hammer this stuff into you, right? But it's all buzzwords unless it's it's something that you believe in, right? Now, I'm not a choir boy. I freaking have broken the rules many times. I've done things in combat especially that could be considered by some to be not exactly what they do, right? Combat's dirty. It, it just is. And I've done things in leadership positions where I had to skirt the rules to get the mission done. It was never for personal gain. It was always to get the mission done and to take care of my guys. And my standard was always, especially in SF, my standard was I will stand in front of the group commander and say, yes, I did that. And I would do it again. So if you're going to punish me, go ahead. But I would freaking do it again, right? Um, that was kind of my standard. So I'm not a choir boy. I have broken the rules many, many times. But I, I, I try to do what's right. And I never, ever, ever allow subordinates to have dirt on me. I never break the rules in front of subordinates. I never allow them to have dirt on me. So when I, you know, I got up in the Irish Army, I was a, a private infantry, and then I went to special operations. And again, I was not in a leadership. I was, even though I was a corporal, which is the equivalent of a staff sergeant, I was not in a leadership position, right? I want to charge anybody in soft. I was in charge of me. But then I got sent to Lebanon as a squad leader for the infantry, um, attached to the infantry on a six-month tour in Lebanon. And on that tour, I was a squad leader. I was in charge of people. And I had to hold people accountable. And I was sent with a battalion out of Dublin, man. These boys were, were, they grew up in the streets. They knew how to manipulate the system. They were barrack room lawyers, some of them. And they, they could spot weakness and they could exploit it in a heartbeat. And I wasn't weak. But I, I remember another NCO who'd been in that battalion was kind of giving me a little guidance. And he said, look, if you do anything that they can throw back in your face, they will use it. He said, let me give you an example. A buddy of his had been on a checkpoint in Lebanon. I don't know if it's that trip or a trip before. And, you know, you envision a checkpoint with the NCO in the middle, a machine gun position up on a building overwatching, and then a couple of privates out on the flanks, letting the cars in one at a time to search them. Um, there was no alcohol allowed on checkpoints. It was, it was, there was alcohol there, but it was, it was controlled, right? But on the checkpoint, you were not allowed to have alcohol. That, a vehicle was coming back from 
the Israeli border where guys were coming back from leave and a friend of the NCOs handed him a bottle of whiskey and he said, hey, I don't want to take this into the camp in case they search us. Can you hang on to it and I'll pick it up later? So the guy took the bottle of whiskey, put it in his bag, no more said. The other guy came and picked it up later on. Well, a couple of days later, the, the privates were rotating every hour and the guy went up to the machine gun position and he came back down and he said, oh, he wants to stay up there. And the NCO was like, hell no. And he went up there and the guy had been drinking on the machine gun position, way to be a, a, a cultural stereotype. But he said, I'm going to fry you. And he said, you can't. If you say anything, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell the chain of command you had alcohol on this checkpoint the other day, right? So he gave up the, the ability to discipline people by just making that one mistake. And I never allowed that to happen to me, ever. But like I said, I did break the rules. I did skirt the rules often, but I was kind of careful, Okay. So integrity is hugely important. It follows you throughout your career. And once you once you compromise it, these guys will compromise their integrity. They'll do a little bit of unethical stuff and they'll get away with it and they'll do a little more and a little more. And every time they do it, they get a little bolder. And like I said, I joined the American Army at 29, having already been in, in the military for seven years, been in Somalia for almost a year. And I was pretty mature and I was pretty experienced. I spent six years in the infantry. So by the time I got the special forces, I was... Uh, Actually, when, by the time I got to a team, I was a Sergeant First Class. Um, been in the Army for nine years at that point. Been in the Irish Army for seven years. Pretty experienced guy. Uh, like 35. So if somebody said, hey, we want you to do this, be it the team Sergeant or the team leader, I had no problem saying, no, I'm not doing that. It's very difficult for a young soldier to do this. And when I ran a leadership school for SOF, I used to talk to them about this. If you're a young soldier, went through the Q course, 18 x-ray, and you get to a team, and your team sergeant who's God in your eyes tells you to do something illegal, very difficult to say no. But you got to stand, man. you got to be a man. you got to man up, and you got to say, I'm not doing that. You want to do that, you do it. I'm not freaking doing it. And a lot of kids have gotten in trouble because they, they have that you know, bell, that alarm go off in their head that this is not right, but they do it anyway because they want to fit in. And and when the music stops, they're the one with no chair. So you got to stand up. You got to be like, this is not going to happen. This is my line. And, you know, you want to move me to another team, that's okay. Okay. So integrity is hugely important to me. Um, the second one I want to talk about is confidence. Projecting confidence, whether you have it or not, is a hugely important thing for a leader, right? Nobody likes to have a leader who is lacks confidence and is unsure of himself, right? And, and if you don't have it, you weren't, I wasn't raised with confidence. I, I built it over a very, very long period of time, and I still second-guess myself all the time. People think I'm super confident, but I'm not. But I, I, I when I got really good at what I was doing, I, I became very, very confident. And as I got older, where I don't really, you know, I was very... I did gain confidence. I went, now nah, there's a line, right? There's confidence and self-confidence and there's ego, right? And if you if you cross that line into ego, then ego is one of the most, it, it, I hate it. It drives me crazy. It, it And I've seen it so much in my career in, in, in special operations, right? It is horrible. And if you want to define ego, just look at YouTube. Look at YouTube and Instagram for a, from a, a former soft guy. It's toxic as fuck. And most of those egomaniacs, it, it, they're insecure and they're not confident because they're making up its camouflage for their lack of knowledge or their lack of confidence. On these social media platforms, they can pick and choose their content and project this freaking awesome image 
Um, but it's not real. Don't compare your real life to somebody else's fake life, okay? So confidence is good. Overconfidence is horrible. It's absolutely horrible. <laughs> I love the quote from, I think it was Patton said, as I gain experience, I do not think more of myself, but less of others. <laughs> that is a great quote, and it fits me perfectly because I can see through all these guys who are just, they're peacocking, man. They're, they're sending out all this freaking, and it's just camouflage. That's all it is. Um, don't let ego take you over. You're not as cool as you think you are. Be confident, be capable, and, and let your actions speak for you and not, not run in your mouth, okay? I'll give an example of... of confidence and lack of confidence that that I, I've seen throughout my career right so I've seen a bunch of it but um, when I was in Robin Sage as Robin Sage is the culmination exercise at the end of the qualification course special force qualification course so in the field 12-man ODA we go out there for a couple of weeks and we have a, a, a fake army and we're training them up to be a, a resistance for blah 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 it's a great exercise but I was the team sergeant in the field and we had a young 18x ray who you know, never spent time in the regular army, just went through the Q course, came out of, came out of uh, high school, joined the army, 18 x-ray, blah, 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 through the Q course. So he really didn't have uh, any experience and he's young. So on a mission, he got lost, right? Not a big deal. It happens. Um, land navigation error, got a little lost. And he obviously found himself, made his way back to the G base. And as a corrective training, the, the, the G chief we had, the guy who was playing the G chief was a retired SF guy who'd been in Vietnam. He was awesome. I'd love to meet him again. He was a great guy. But he pulled me aside and he was like, hey, I, I think you should make him do a land nav class for the indige. And the people playing the indige were just regular army privates that were just on detail to be there, right? So it, it'll build his confidence. It'll re... re and this kid could land nav because he passed land nav in, in the Q course, right? Which is no joke, especially in selection. So... This G chief was like, hey, make him teach a class and it'll build his confidence, right? So I got him in front of like 20 indige and he was going to teach a class. And he started off by saying, hey, guys, I'm going to teach you a land nav class. I know I'm the last person that should be teaching land nav, but and I just freaking flew off the handle. <laughs> Not in front of the, the gorillas. I was like, come here, come here with me. And I pulled him around the back of his hut and I chewed his ass one, up one side and down the other. And I was like, don't you ever put yourself down in front of these people again. You like, you think about your training, your Green Beret, and you're in a foreign country training in the indigenous to fight. And you say something like that, you've completely catastrophic lost rapport. They've lost confidence in you. Never say things like that. If you're not confident, fucking fake it till you make it. That's what most people do. They fake it. Get up there. You are the expert. In, your, in their eyes, you are a freaking expert in everything you do. Don't ever put yourself down when you're training people like that. And... Uh, I hope he took that to heart and never, ever did it again. But that's an example of lack of confidence, destroying rapport and destroying that your, your subordinate's confidence in you. You've got to be confident. You've got to project that confident air, but you can't be arrogant and you can't let your ego get out of control. You've got to stay grounded in the real world because you're probably not as cool as you think you are. And then the third one I want to talk about is courage. And courage seems like a no-brainer, but there's two types of courage. There's physical courage and moral courage. And I love quotes, man. Some Somebody very, very articulate already said it better. Mark Twain said, it is, it is curious that physical courage should be so common in this world and moral courage so rare. And that is true. I've seen a lot of physical courage in my life. 
I've seen like driving in Baghdad in 06 and 07 was was courageous. Walking in parts of Afghanistan in itself was a courageous act. I've seen a lot of physical courage, but I've seen a lot of lack of moral courage. And moral courage is stepping up, doing the right thing, regardless of, of the consequences, right? And I've seen... I've seen officers and NCOs lack moral courage, and it drove me crazy. And I'm going to give you a really good example. And physical courage doesn't mean lack of fear. It just means dealing with fear, right? You, you deal with it, you get, do your job, and you move the hell out, right? Um, when I was in Fort Hood, Texas as a private, when I came in the Army first, I had actually two sons born in Fort Hood, the U.S. citizens. I had a green card, and my wife had no green card. She was an illegal immigrant in the States, right? Because she'd overstayed her visa. Now, as soon as I got through basic training, she came over. And by the time I got to um, um, Fort Hood, she was still legally there, right? She was on a, a three-month holiday visa, right? So I went to JAG, the, the Judge Advocate General, the lawyers in the Army. And I didn't understand at the time, their job is to protect the commander, the chain of command, not there for you, really. Um, but I went and I explained the whole situation to them. And I'm like, look, I need to get her a green card, you know, I thought when we got married, because I had a green card, she'd get a green card, and that wasn't the case, right? And that was my, that was bad, that was on me, right? But I went down and I tried to get help, and they said they'd look into it, and then a week or two later, they called me down, and they said, not only can we not help you, but we have a legal obligation to report your wife to the INS and have her deported. So I was like, okay, cool, thanks for nothing, go ahead and deport her, and I'll just go AWOL, right? Um, Fort Hood was a horrible post in the 90s, it was, it was awful, anyway. It was a huge disappointment to, to me when I joined the army. But so then I just went back to work and I tried to work it in the background. I actually put in for a compassionate reassignment to Germany on the grounds that my wife was illegal in the country and it got denied. And nobody would help me. Nobody. Um, and I'm a private freaking floundering, right? Uh, and then my chain of command got involved. And word came down from the battalion commander to the company commander, to my platoon leader, nothing in writing because they want to cover their ass. And my platoon leader came to me and said, hey, uh, send your wife home, my wife from Sweden, send your wife home until you're done with your army career. And I was like, what? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, no, I'm not doing that. And if you send her, if you report her, I'll just go away all, you know. But they didn't have the moral courage to step up and try to help me or not, right? Put it in paper, talk. They tried to weasel this thing where they tried to force me uh, to send her home so they could cover their ass. And that's a very common trait, in, in especially among officers in the army. I hate to be hard on officers, but I've seen it multiple times over the years where they take the easy road and they don't step up. Um, I've talked to young lieutenants and, and you know, who are in training and, you know, they, they always tell these young lieutenants in training, hey, if you get to a, you know, your infantry platoon or whatever like that and, and you have to trust your non-commissioned officers and all that, well, that's fine and dandy until they're fucked up. Then you got to step up because you're getting the big bucks. you got to step up and be a man and take charge. And not enough of them do that, right? So nobody would put anything on paper. They just sent verbally, send your wife home. And that's cowardice in my eyes. How are you going to face the enemy with gunfire and IEDs? You don't have the balls to step up and, and, and try to fucking help me or not. But don't be covering your ass all the way, right? So I went to the inspector general and I told him the whole story. And then the IG investigation started and it came back to the company commander. And he called me into his office. 
And he starts screaming at me, we were helping you behind the scenes. And, and again, I was a private, but I wasn't a kid. And I'm not fucking scared by your yelling. So I let him yell and scream. And, and he said, we were helping you behind the scenes. And we were doing, I said, stop. No, you weren't. You told me to send my fucking wife home. How was that helping me? I just pushed back and he was pissed. We didn't do anything about it because he was afraid that it would come back on him in some way. Uh, that's cowardice. That is not moral courage. It, it's, it's, and it, it, it's prevalent in the military. So, you know, you see these military guys who are on YouTube and on social media talk, talking like they figured it all out. They did one or two tips in combat and I was in the Navy or I was in the Army and I figured out every lesson learned in leadership. And it's all, it's all disingenuous. Like I said, it's a journey. It's not something you go and you go, okay, now I've got it all figured out. You learn as you go, right? That, but I, I've seen good and bad. And I've made mistakes as a leader. I've made mistakes, but I've tried to correct them. And I always try to do the right thing. Difference between moral courage and physical courage. I've seen a lot of physical courage. And I've seen a lot of moral cowardice in my life. And... It's sad to say, step up. You know, if you want to, if you're an officer and you're in OCS now, or you're in, you know, training, you're in West Point, be the officer, be the leader you want to be now. When you're in training and you're all hyped up and you're all getting all this freaking education and you're going to be great, you're going to do great things, be the leader you, you want to be now in training. If you're in basic training, be the soldier you want to be when you're in training. If you're in a Q course, be the fucking Green Beret you're signed up to be now. And don't let the, don't let, Lack of moral courage stop you from doing the right thing, okay? I said three things. I'm going to hit one more thing. So it's four. Communication. Communication as a leader is extremely important, right? And it doesn't have to be one of the best lessons I ever learned, right? And again, it's a journey. When I was working at sniper school, uh, Sean Kirkwood is a good friend of mine. I did a couple of podcasts with Sean. We've known each other for years. I actually did one on the evolution of, of military gear. You can look back. It's actually a really good one. Sean's funny. Sean's silver star in the invasion of Iraq. Very, very capable combat leader, right? But none of this bluster and, and ego to go with it, right? So when I worked at sniper school, Sean came in at the same time as me, and I was an instructor, and he was the NCYC. And Sean was a big whiteboard fan, right? The big dry erase board. It's probably the best organizational and communication tool I've ever seen. And, and guys on my team used to laugh and say, I'm going to have a, you know, I'm going to have a whole house built on a whiteboard, right? But the whiteboard is awesome. What Sean did was he had this big whiteboard and every single day, you had all the days of the week on it and every single day he filled in the timeline and who was doing what and who was going to be at the range and who was going to be doing the stalking exercise and who was going to go ahead and set up range, who's drawing ammo. All that was written down in very good detail. So you you never had to wonder what you're doing for the whole week. Um, when Sean left, they brought another guy in and... He, he liked the concept of the whiteboard, but he didn't want to write it out. When you write things out like that, you analyze it. And I used to spend a lot of time analyzing and going, okay, this guy did a night shoot here. Let's give him the morning off. And, and when you're looking at that whole structure, it, it, it makes you really analyze how things are going. And it, it, it stops you having meetings every day. Later on, I, I, I actually for the rest of my career, I did this. Um, so when Sean left, the other guy came in and he didn't want to write. So we got name tags with magnets for the, the board, right? And he had little trucks and trailers and he would put it up there. Okay, Monday, the range is going to be Owens and this and this. And then you put all the names down and there were just magnets, right? And guys would come in and go, oh, 
hell no, I'm not doing a night shoot and they take their name off and put somebody else's name up there. And I'd be like, I've done four night shoots this week. What is going on, you know? And when um, when uh, when guys were on leave, they'd, he'd take their name and turn it upside down and put it in the bottom of the board. And some guys would come in and take their name and put it in the bottom of the board and take two days off, right? When I did it, all that shit went to trash. And I was the only one allowed right on the board because I don't want you changing anything because I'm not tracking it. But it's a great analytical tool that I can say, hey, this is what's going on. When I went from there to be a first turn at the, at the NCO Academy, I had 14 Green Beret instructors. I think I had teaching a, a warrior leader course, a soft leadership school. They, they had meetings every single day. So I shadowed a class where I just sat back and watched. They had meetings every single morning to talk about what was going on. And then I got a whiteboard made with two weeks on it. And the first week would be... Uh, you know, you do a whole week in great detail and you do a whole second week. And then when that week was over, I'd move the bottom week up and I'd do another week. So we maybe had a, a short meeting once a week, but everybody knew exactly what was going on at all times. That's communication. Did the same thing as the team Sean in SF. I had a one month board with a lot of details on it. And then I had a four month board where I filled everything out. So five months ahead, guys could plan and know what they were doing. That to me is effective communication because I'd been on teams where we'd come in in the morning and we'd be like, what are we doing today? Nobody knew. Nobody had a clue. And that's what kind of leads you to do the things you do when it comes to leadership, right? A couple of final thoughts here. Again, grew up in Europe, not a real touchy-feely guy. We used to have to wear these army values cards hanging around our neck with our dog tags, right? This is pre-9-11. I don't know if they kept it going they probably did, but I was in soft at the time and nobody even cared, right? But the army values are loyalty, duty, uh, respect, selfless service, uh, honor, integrity, and personal courage, right? You had to hang them around your neck. I never got it. I, I Maybe it's a way that, but hanging hanging things around your neck and having a little creed, like a non-commissioned officer creed or a soldier's creed, doesn't make you a better soldier, in my view. Now, maybe I'm too cynical, but to me, knowing a little rhyme... No, having this thing around you, what, the, what does that do for you? It's not like I'm going to, you know, break the law. Let me get a DUI and then I'm like, oh, hang on. Let me check my army values card to make sure I'm not, you know, breaking one of the army values. It just it never made any freaking sense to me. You train people properly and train them, you know, but then they're, they're, they're tied to their their personality and, you know, the, the attributes of, you know, their parents give them and, and their, their culture, basically, right? Yeah. The Army had this NCO creed, non-commissioned officer creed, and it was a bunch of paragraphs. And when you went to the board, like to become a sergeant, you had to go to a board, and it was like four E8s, I think, and an E9, a sergeant major, and four. And they would ask you questions, right? Medical questions, drilling ceremonies, weapons, all that kind of stuff, right? And then you had to do it again when you went to be a staff sergeant. And then after that, it's a central promotion. You don't do it again, right? But I've run those boards, and I've done a bunch of them because I... I Against my will, I competed as the NCO of the month when I was a corporal, and I won, and then I won the battalion one, then I went to the brigade one, you know. Um, so I got I, I pretty good at those boards. But they were like, you have to learn the NCO creed, and it's freaking long. So I sat down, and it starts off, no one is more professional than I. I'm a non-commissioned officer, a leader of soldiers. And then it goes down, and I read it and read it. My ADHD would kick in, and I just couldn't commit it to memory. So at some point, I was like, fuck it, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not memorying this. This is dumb. And I was like, if they ask me, they ask me. 
So I went through the whole board at Z5 and I got to the end and the sergeant major was the last guy with a question and he said, and I was like, oh God, here it comes. He said, what is the most important sentence in the NCO creed? And I said, no one is more professional than I. I am a non-commissioned officer, a leader of soldiers. The only one I knew. And he was like, that's a really good answer. Good job, Sergeant Owens, man. I'd rather be lucky than good, okay? Um, that, look, that, that's four traits of leadership that I thought were important. There are more, and I, I'm happy to do more of these things, and I have tons and tons of examples. But again, it, it's a journey. Uh, and if you're not a leader in the military or in law enforcement or in corporate America, I, I, I do understand it's actually easier to be a leader in the military because people have rules and regulations, but you do come up against a lot of the same crap you get in HR in your company, right? I can't kick people out of the army, nor should I be able to. I have to document in great detail all the things they've done, right? I can't, as a non-commissioned officer, give somebody an Article 15, right? A uniform, uh, non-judicial punishment. I can recommend it, and a commander makes that decision on whether or not he does it, right? I've never actually recommended an Article 15 for anybody. Um, so there are checks and balances, and in your world in HR, you can still apply a lot of these lessons, um, uh, but you still have all these checks and balances. And if you're a good leader, you figure out the whole HR culture and you, you learn to work within it because you owe it to the good employees. You owe it to the good soldiers to get rid of the dead weight. You should be as, you should be as enthusiastic about firing people as you are about hiring them. Dead weight is toxic in a company, in a team, or in a, in a civilian organization because everybody sees that dirtbag getting away with everything with no consequences if you don't do your job as a leader. So you want to be in charge, step up, take control and have some moral courage. Okay, guys, thank you so much for uh, paying attention if you're still with me. Until next time, bye.